Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway, and with my voice out still, I'm going to have Bonnie Burroughs do most of the talking. This is from a uh, panel discussion from an IONS conference. Um, she is going to share her experience. This is the uh, Reader's Digest version of it. I've heard her tell an hour and a half long version, and it really wasn't enough for me. I, I couldn't get enough. It, it's such a fascinating experience that she has. So her book, I've got a link to it in the show notes at neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. So uh, without further ado, here is Bonnie Burroughs sharing her near-death experience. I'm not sure where to start because I, my first NDE was when I was eight and a half months old, but I didn't know I had an NDE. Uh, all I knew was that uh, there were a lot of family stories. For eight and a half months, I screamed and wailed, and once in a while I slept. And at eight and a half months, I smothered, and my father revived me. I was in the crib, he revived me, and it was shortly after that that my memories started. Um, the story that my extended family talked about was the fact that in I was this rotten baby, and at uh, eight and a half months smothered, and in three weeks uh, was walking, talking, and potty trained. Uh, so I don't have I don't remember being a child ever, even back then. What I do remember is at 11 months uh, I uh, had pneumonia. They took me to the doctor. The doctor sent me to the hospital. And it was wonderful. I grew up with uh, no electricity and no running water, and our house was pretty dark. And and uh, they uh, so going to the hospital, everything was white and light. And I knew where I was. I was back in that white light place with all those white people that loved me. And so um, I didn't cry. And and. The nurses talked about that child that didn't cry. When there was no one looking, I climbed out of my crib because there was these shiny things over there that I wanted to look at, which was a cart. Now I know it was a cart of instruments, but I didn't know that. And the nurse came and said, you can't be out of bed, you'll get hurt. And uh, you know, and I said, I'm just looking, I'm looking. And she's, think she's saying, well, you, you, you touch those things and you'll get hurt. And so, I thought she was a dumb angel because she couldn't, not only could she not understand that I knew enough not to touch them, and I'm telling her that, uh, she couldn't understand the fullness of my thinking. So I remember that. And then there were a lot of other incidents, and since I daren't be here till 9 o'clock tonight, um, I will move on um, to a drowning. I drowned when I was about six years old, and my uncle brought me up. I was a bundle of mud and um, uh, proceeded to hold me. I was a small child, and he held me up by my feet, by my ankles, and whacked on me. And so when I went back in my body, um, well, I was out of my body trying to get my aunt's attention because I was down there in, I don't know, 15 feet of water and mud. And, um, but anyway, so now I went back in my body, and um, I thought he was beating me because I had been disobedient. I had gone, back east we have creeks that are huge, uh, bigger than our rivers out west. And I had gone where I wasn't supposed to and slipped off the ledge and went down and all that 
muck and everything. And by the way, one of the things that I did during that period of time is I, I saw my uncle, I went with him as he dived to look for me and he skinned his knee badly on that ledge. He dived too soon because the ledge was a couple of feet underwater. And then, um, so I went back and forth between he and my aunt because my aunt was hysterical. She's screaming and crying and my little sisters were crying and it was awful. Uh, so anyway, he came up with the bundle of water and whacked on me and when I went back in the, or came up with the bundle of mud, when I went back in my body, I thought I was being punished uh, for being disobedient. And, uh, but the major, I, I'm trying to do this in a hurry. <laughs> The major, uh, my major NDE, uh, I used to do things like go out of my body to explore uh, when I was little. And my mother told me one time that I was going to die if I, uh, uh, if I fell or something when I was doing that, because I used to tell her things that she didn't know about and then she'd find out they were true. I also got in trouble for telling things before they happened and then they happened. So I came out of a very, uh, my mother was very fundamentally religious, and so it was, you didn't, weren't supposed to do anything that was fortune-telling or anything like that. And here I was, this little four or five-year-old kid, uh, doing witch things, so I was getting into trouble for that. And I, I guess I'll move on because I don't have time. I interviewed with someone last night, Greg, and he's going to put some of this on uh, the Seattle website, so you might want to check that out. In, I don't know, a couple of weeks. The, my major NDE was in 1975 and I was carrying my last child. I was in the hospital. I was six months pregnant. I had been admitted for blood clots and uh, they found me in the hospital bed dead. Um, I came out of my body uh, sometime before lunch and because uh, I was in terrible pain and I was just miserable and, and then I came out of my body and uh, there were a lot of things that happened. I went to visit my children uh, at that time and then uh, my guides asked me from the other side telepathically if I was ready to leave because I was really disgusted with a lot of things. And um, that that I saw while I was out of my body. And I was like, yes, I'm out of here. I am out of here. And, uh, and I went into the light. I, never, I didn't go down a tunnel. I was just immediately in the light. And I was in this glorious, incredibly wonderful place of light with all of this scenery. It was like being in a huge meadow, but the mountains that have colors that we don't even recognize. And the, the grass, and everything was sentient. And the grass, I remember the grass was so loving and it was making love to my feet. And, and the flowers, it was like the flowers were so beautiful and, and they were translucent and yet they were solid. And everything welcomed me. It was like they were welcoming me home and I knew I was home. And I skipped something. When I, when I went, when I left here, when I left this dimension, I was immediately in a new body and I was shocked. I was surprised and shocked and, and that's when I knew that I had been there before because that was not the body that I had when I was there before and I'm like saying to my guides, which I didn't call guides, they just were my guides really. I, I was, I'm saying, you didn't tell me about this. You didn't tell me about this body. Where did this come from? 
And they left me know that that was the body that I, that my body, that that particular, I don't know how to express it, that part of me that I went into that was really, now I'm really me all together whole, uh, was what had uh, uh, grown, evolved from my actions on earth. So it wouldn't be the same. So I don't expect when I go back this next time, I'm going to stay by the way, I don't expect that the body will be the same. I will have uh, hopefully really evolved it, but I have no idea what how great that will be. Um, I met my dad. My dad had passed away in May. This was in October of 75. And my dad was there to greet me. And a lot of relatives, my brother who uh, had passed away, uh, a stillborn, a, si a sister who was born prior to me, but she was stillborn, um, broke my mother's heart. And uh, I got to meet her, my grandmother, um, and a lot of other relatives that I had never met on earth, but I knew they belonged to me. Um, my dad, uh, I was born into a family that was very conflicted. There was conflict all the time and chaos and, you know, how some of families are like that. And um, so, but there was this thing, my dad died in the hospital. I took him to the hospital 23 hours before he died. And he didn't get to die on his farm. And I couldn't forgive myself for that. And the doctors had said that he could live for quite some time, but he, and then I was not with him when he passed. I had a class at the university and to go to, and he said, go to your class, I'm fine. And my sister and brother-in-law were there. And I, he said, you know, so just a couple hours. When I got back, he had passed on. And uh, I couldn't forgive myself for that either. And there was this incredible thing that happened. We had this communion. We hugged, and, and when we hugged, we were had substance. And all of this passed back and forth between us. And in my little book, I've written it in words, but it was more than, so much more than there are any words that I can find. There was this total reunion and total forgiveness, and I knew how he understood, and he, knew how I understood. There were a lot of more incidents while I was there with the family before I moved on. And I moved on and had a life review. And I won't go into that because we've probably all talked about life reviews uh, and heard. And, and mine was pretty typical, I think, of what you probably have heard. Uh, it was very, very extensive. It went on for several hundred years, uh, though. and. Um, and, but I was also the people involved in that I had in my life. And so any action that I had done, I got to experience from the other person's being, a, a, a receiving of it or whatever. And then there was the, uh, I, I also got to see not just how they felt, but the result of that, whether it was good, if I had done something wonderful, or if I had done something that hurt someone, even if I didn't know it, uh, I, I got to feel it and I got to see what it did in their extended light. And, uh, and to see is not a good word because I, I lived it. I, I, and I, so I lived all those lives all at that time. Um, 
I got to do many things, and I, I'm not going and see many things. I kept my father had told me I needed to come back, and I just couldn't understand that. Here I was. I was in this wonderful place with him. We were reunited, and now he's telling me I need to go back. And he said, "You need to go back and have this child." And I and I said, "No, no. I, he's here with me. Uh, why would you want him in, to go into that darkness? I, you know, I, he needs to be here in this love." And um, all through my experience, as I, I got to see clear back to the beginning of time, I get to see and, and know and experience things in the future. At various times, there were guy. At one point, I, I ended up with two new guides, and I kept being reminded that I needed to go back, and I could not get convinced of that, and I kept. No, and I just wouldn't even think about it. When I cha when they changed guides, my one of the guides was totally silent, not communicating with me, not explaining anything, and so it was the other one who took me to the places as I would ask to go. And um, and all knowledge, I I just I was brilliant, man, was I brilliant. Um, but I, I, it took me a long time to figure out what that silent spirit was about, that silent guide. And I now realize that it was, he was holding the consciousness of this earth for me because I would never, I would not move into it. And I think that's the reason I got to have such a deep experience. I, I, got, I wanted to know about other worlds. I got to go and see other worlds. And by the way, we are not alone in the universe, no matter what you think. <laughs> And what anyone else thinks, we really are not. Um, I want to tell you about coming back, if I can. Uh, finally, what they did is they brought my child to me, my unborn child, and he was not a baby; he was like a, an adolescent. And he said, he told me that I had promised to give birth to him before I was born, that we had planned this together. Now you have to realize I'm coming out of fundamental Christianity that does not believe in a pre-existence. I had never even heard that word. I, I, you know, I'm, a little far, I'm just a little farm kid. And, um, and so he's telling me this, and, and, but I know that I know that I lived before. I know I lived before I was born by then. But now I understand that he opens this to me that I have made a promise and this is important. And then I am promised that if I come back and give birth to him, at the time of his birth, I can choose again and I do not have to stay, but what I, and, and he just asks that I will come and give birth to him. And I come back, and, and that's a long story too. So that's the introduction that she gives on her panel discussion. That's the end of that video. And, but uh, I do recommend that you either get her book or you can get on the ionsutah.org.com, uh, uh, something like that. The, basically the Ions Utah website, and you can hear a, a larger version of her experience. And again, I did link to her book. And I'll put that in the uh, bookstore as well. But uh, 
the thing that I found, or one of the things that I found very interesting in her account, you know, I've heard so many people in their near-death, describing their near-death experience, they talk about the uh, the water and the plants. Well, they, they talk about plants, like flowers and so forth, as being alive, that the grass was alive. Now, as a gardener, that's like a no-brainer to me. Of course it's alive. That's how it grows. I can I can sense its life about it, you know, and so forth. But she has wording that I really find interesting. She says, the grass was sentient. The flowers were sentient. And that's a little bit different. If I understand the word sentient correctly, in fact, I could look it up real quick, but my understanding is the word sentient means that it... Uh, it has intelligence to be able to communicate and think on a level with, with you know, communicable beings. Uh, and, you know, she talks about being into science and things, able to perceive or feel things is the definition Google gives, um, to be able to perceive and feel things, which I take... You know, the implication of, of the word is more than just able to fire, you know, uh, uh, nerve ending, you know, signals to a central system or whatever, you know, it, it, to me, it's, it sounds like it's something that you could communicate with. And while we've kind of heard that we can communicate with animals on the other side and so forth, this idea of being sentient, and maybe I'm reading it wrong, takes it to a level that says they are thinking, feeling, communicating beings that you could ask them their thoughts on something and they would respond with a, a, a sensible response. That's the way I'm reading that. So her, her use of the word sentient takes it to a new level for me, you know, um, as opposed to those saying that the grass was alive, the roses were alive. Well, of course they're alive, but they're sentient. Now that's cool. That's cool. And uh, I love how she talks about how the grass was just loving her feet. <laughs> you know, we love to walk through grass in our bare feet because it feels so good. But this grass also said it felt good having her feet there. And uh, and everything was loving her. Everything was expressing love to her. I think that's just beautiful. Anyway, if you would like to contact the podcast, you can call uh, uh, 970-NDE-CAST. You can also email neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. That is the most, um, the most reliable way of contacting the podcast because, uh, and I'll give you this as a, I'd like to hear more from more of you to hear if this is uh, common among many people, but I got another uh, message from Delon, uh, one of our listeners who is still having trouble commenting on anything on the podcast. So I'm not sure what's going on there. I don't, I don't know the, uh, the technical, I don't have the tech skills to really know what's going on there so if any of you out there have had this trouble and have some tech skills can you please contact me in case you've got some ideas of what it might take to fix that problem 
Anyway, uh, and to all of you, thank you again so much for listening.